Hey guys, it's me, but we're not going to get into the episode just yet because I want to introduce today's sponsor and that is Anchor. Anchor is what I use to upload and distribute my podcast on platforms like Spotify and Apple Music, but you can also use it to record and edit an episode right from your computer or phone for free. You can also use it to make money from your podcast without a minimum listenership. All you need to get started on your podcast is all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. See you soon. The Bonnet Talks with your host, Ama Pia. In today's episode, I brought on my friend Megan O'Neill to talk about imposter syndrome, which is something that I've noticed a lot of recent grads and my friends talking about during their transition into post-grad. So I thought it would be a good idea to bring on Megan to chat about this because she actually performed research on imposter syndrome for her dissertation at the University of Oxford in the UK. Sounds incredible, right? But it wasn't all that it was cracked up to be, and she shares both her personal and academic experiences with the topic, as well as what she found in her research to help combat it. It's such an interesting episode, guys. I love talking to Megan. She's such a ray of sunshine, and she's always just fun to just chat with and catch up with. So I hope you enjoy it as much as I did, and I'll see you back here very soon. Bye. Sorry. Oh, hi. Oh, my God. Are you? Oh my god, look at your professional setup. <laughs> I know everyone's always like, oh, every time they enter the room, they're like, oh my gosh, I wasn't expecting that. I'm like, yeah, I <laughs> so legit. I, I try, I really try. I was like, you know what? If I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna go full it and like just go all out. So sounds like Alma. I love it. <laughs> I'm I'm like so happy to hear your voice. I don't even know why. I just have to oh like- my god. Same. I listened to your podcast the other day and I was like, this is just bringing me joy, like hearing you be you. (laughs) I was like, I'm so excited for this. No, and thank you so much for coming on. When I was doing the planning for this podcast and I was kind of figuring out like what I wanted it to be, the first person I thought of was you, like just coming on and being a guest because I was like, I mean, just genuinely... I've, I've told you this before, but I've always admired you and I always feel like your story and the things you have to say and the way you go about expressing them and just saying it is just so admirable. And that's why I was like, you know what? I need to have Meg on here. Like, like ASAP. Oh my gosh. That means so much. Seriously. I mean, like you said, I've said this to you before, but the feeling <laughs> is totally mutual. Like, I'm so happy you have this platform because the world needs more people like you to just speak truth to what's happening and like give people platforms to talk about, especially people our age. I feel like there aren't that many voices that are our age that I hear a lot. Yeah. Um, so I'm just so excited for you and thank you so much. That honestly means the world to hear you say that. Uh, no, I'm, I'm literally so excited for this. Um, and so I will just get started. Um, welcome back to another episode of the Bonnet Talks with your host, Ama Apia. Today I have my friend Meg O'Neill with me. I'm so excited to have her and you guys just heard like how much we love each other. Literally, I'm like, <laughs> sitting here like, fangirling to be honest. Um, but yeah, so we're going to get right into it. Um, one of the first things we do, as I always say, whenever I have a guest is to talk about TBT moment, a throwback moment. Um, 
about, you know, just a moment in our relationship or friendship that we really like. For some reason, I mean, I've been doing it the past few episodes and I've gotten really good feedback and content out of it. So I'm like, I'm just going to keep on doing it because I really like it. So I love it. And very convenient that TBT is also the bonnet shop. I know. I know. I was like, ooh, this is good branding. (laughs) Comms. Yeah. So I'll let you go first if you want to like go into anything you thought about. Yes. As soon as, like I said before, I was listening to your last podcast um, a few days ago on my one walk a day that the government's allowing us right now. <laughs> um, yes. And as soon as you said like, oh, tell me a favorite memory. The first thing that popped in my mind was, correct me if I'm wrong, because my memory does deceive me sometimes. <laughs> um, I'm pretty sure it was the first Yukonic ever. Yes. And me and Alma were both working as Aerie ambassadors, one of the ways we have bonded. Yes. Um, great job. Shout out to Aerie. Yes. Um, yes. Very good job. And we were asked to be at the concert like beforehand. So people who don't go to Yukon, yeah. Yukonic is like this huge concert that they put on. And we, um, it was the first year they ever did it. And Khalid was going to be the main performance that night um but beforehand they were having this like huge kind of like block party thing and asked all the brand ambassadors from Yukon to come out and like rep so we had a table there and I don't know if you knew this because you like had the in so much more than I did at Yukon but (laughs) I didn't know that they were gonna let us go into the concert after that oh yeah no I I was already gonna go in because I was on a concert committee but I didn't know it was gonna be like an airy like we could go into but yeah so they like let us um at the end of our duties I thought we were just gonna go home because I didn't buy a ticket and which was a mistake but (laughs) I they were like okay so all the brand ambassadors you get like VIP you can go right up to the front and I was like shut up this is the coolest thing ever (laughs) and I remember us four because there were four ambassadors just like dancing and singing so close to Khalid I I was like this is such an incredible moment (laughs) Um, so that was one of my favorite memories of us just because that was so fun and like honestly one of my favorite Yukon memories. Yeah. Um, and to share it with you was just so special. <laughs> so <laughs> I, fun. Actually, I actually kind of forgot about that. Like like that when you're bringing it when you're saying that, I was like being taken back. I was like, oh my gosh, like yeah, like we did have that experience together. I totally forgot. <laughs> I was kind of like distracted by the fact that Khalid was literally standing right in front of me. So I was so like, close. <laughs> I, I have never been that close to a concert, like to the stage of a concert ever. I was like it was in amazing. panic mode the whole time. I was like, oh my God, Khalid. But <laughs> when I was thinking about something like that we shared, I immediately thought of when I, one of the first moments I met you. So Meg and I were in the same sorority, Gamma Phi Beta at UConn. Um, and one of the first like memories of her that I have is like, I think you were wellness chair, were you? Or yes. something like that. So I just remember I was a new, I was a new member and she had come up and she was in our meetings. We just like, you know, have different segments and she was the wellness chair. So she was kind of giving like advice. I forget what exactly it was about, but <laughs> you were giving advice as to like how we can really take care of ourselves. So, you know, the whole mental health, self-care kind of spiel. But um it stuck with me because I just love the way you talked about it. It was very like, I don't, I can't remember exactly what you said, but I just remember it touching me because you were very inclusive in the way that you spoke about it. 
like you were very like intersectional. And I remember sitting there thinking like, oh, wow, like, you know, a lot of people don't talk about like, I mean, we talk about mental health like nowadays, right? More often, which is great, but we don't necessarily talk about the intersectionality between the two, like within that or the inclusivity. And sometimes obviously not one size fits all. And so to hear you kind of bring that up on that platform where like you have a bunch of girls in the room, like sororities, like, you know, everyone has that like stereotype of a sorority of what it's supposed to be like, but you kind of stepped out of that and said, Hey, like at the end of the day, like you should be taking care of yourselves and keep this in mind. Like when you want to take care of yourself and you want to take care of other people, think about this as well. And I was like, Oh my gosh. And for someone who, I mean, I, at the time it was only two black girls (laughs) in Gamma Phi Beta. And it made me feel like I was welcome in the sorority for something that I was like already, I was like, I don't know if this is for me because number one, mm, the black people are not in here. I do not see you, but (laughs) yep. (laughs) already I'm like anxious. I'm like, okay, how is this going to go? But to have that be one of the first interactions in Gamify and then also my first interaction with you, it spoke a lot to who you were. And oh, then I found out so much. Yeah, no. Thank you. And I, I wish I could remember what you said, but the thing is, it's so long ago. <laughs> yeah, so fair. Honestly, just the fact that you remember that, like, means so much. Means my job at least affected one person. Which yeah, is no. Is again why I admire you so much because that's the, just again the way you talk about these things. It's the way we all should be talking about these things. I think we tend to forget that, like, not everything is linear. There are so many different experiences that that create the different perspectives that we all have and the different opinions and we're all sometimes I feel like so stuck in that one way of thinking and when it comes to these social issues or just things in general like we have to be aware that you know like our experience is our experience and we need to also consider that of others especially when we want to be if you want to be welcoming and if you want to talk about mental health if you want to talk about these issues that impact all of us you need to at least do your research and educate yourself and like, and just being willing to learn about other people's experiences and incorporate that. So I really appreciated it. And it, it honestly, like it impacted the way I felt about this, like the sorority experience in general. And that's oh, why, that's, that's so why I wanted great. to tell you that because it yes, really, it changed. You. Yeah. It really meant a lot to me. And I when think- I, when I learned that like re- like a short time after that, that you were, I think, a double major, right, in mm-hmm. communication and I want to say sociology, was it? Yes. Okay. So then I, I remember hearing that later on and I was like, okay, this makes sense. She gets it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> she- <laughs> the minute I open my mouth and anyone who knows anything about sociology, I feel like it's like you know <laughs> what sociology is because everything I say is just about some theory that exists. Like, <laughs> But I love it. I love it so much. I want to hear, um, you know, your background a little bit. Um, what you did after UConn um, mm-hmm. and you know what you've been up to since yeah since then totally um, thank you for that like compliment shower it literally made my whole <laughs> quarantine that was the best thing I've heard in like three months um, so thank you so much and seriously know that the feeling is so mutual um, so yeah I am extremely proud uh, to be a UConn alumni that is something that we might get into this later, but I think I really have come to be proud of that 
after the fact Mm -hmm. of graduating. Like, I think while I was there, I loved it, but I never had this like deep appreciation Mm -hmm. for UConn. Um, Because in the back of my head, you know, there's always that little voice like, this is a state school. Like, you're (laughs) not an I. Yes, exactly. That little voice. And you're Mm like, okay, well, cool. I'm just going to do me for four years and then see what happens. Right. So (laughs) while I was at UConn, I was like, this is cool. But I always had that voice. And then after, um, I really, really had an immense appreciation for the education that UConn gave me. So yes, I was a sociology and communications double major. I started just in sociology and then took on the comm double major. I want to say my junior year. Me too. I, really? Yeah, I, I decided to become double major my junior year. It's kind of like a later thought. Like, Yeah. Honestly, though, like anyone who's trying to decide if they want to go down that route, like taking on another major, comms is so applicable to so many things. And I'm so glad I decided to do that. I work in a comms role now. So. Oh, really? Yeah. Spoiler alert. Oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, I started as sociology, then went to took on communications. And then I actually also minored in women's gender and sexuality studies ah yes okay um so it's a mouthful but Uh that was UConn I did so much um obviously was in GameFi Uh that wellness role actually means like the world to me because recently um this fall my I don't know great 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 grand little in lineages of Greek life (laughs) if anyone knows what that means in my Greek fam um also became the wellness person for Gamify. She messages me on Instagram being like, so I know you're my fam. And I also heard that you were like, like completely changed this role and like did so much great stuff for it. Would love to talk to you about everything you did. So it's really cool that that like lives on because that role meant a lot to me. I had so many girls reach out to me and have like, like I gave my number to every girl in our chapter, which was like over 200 people and <laughs> crazy I got texts and calls and like people want to meet for coffee and lunch all the time just to like word vomit all their issues and just to have someone to talk to yeah. so that was really cool even though it's a really really small line on my resume I always keep it on there because it's something I'm like really proud yeah, of it um, should be it should be thank you um so I'm glad you brought that up but yeah so that was my UConn life then I graduated in 2018 and um, decided to go to grad school at the University of Oxford in England and pursue a master's of science in sociology there. Um, crazy to me. The, <laughs> the craziest year of my life, honestly. Um, it was such a roller coaster of emotions. I'm super grateful to have had that opportunity and to have had the experience. Um, but that experience made me so grateful for UConn, like I was saying before, Mm -hmm. Um, just because I realized like I was going to this school that has so much clout and Mm. I was one of the only people I knew that had come from a state school in the U.S. Like everyone else Mm. that I was friends with for the most part besides two girls I knew had all come from Ivy Leagues Um, and it felt so weird to be there and I think it took a little bit of time to get over that um yeah but then I realized at the end like I was so prepared from UConn like probably better prepared than a lot of people who I went to school with there because I think UConn really makes you think for yourself and Mm -hmm. I think it gives you such an incredible support system which a lot of my friends never had um Mm -hmm. and just yeah seeing like the quality of education I got 
I'm UConn's biggest fan now. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, thank you very much for that. Yeah. (laughs) Well worth my money. (laughs) And I'm not being paid to say this. Um, not being sponsored by UConn. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I did a year at Oxford and wrote my thesis, which everyone always asks about for a master's program. So that's like the biggest piece of work that you produce mm-hmm. on the imposter syndrome, which mm-hmm. I know we'll talk a lot more about today. Yes. Uh, yep. And after that, I graduated in November. Um, and I went on, I just moved back to the U.S. in December, which feels like 10 years ago now. Wow. But I am so lucky. I got a job at this incredible organization called Dream in um, East Harlem in New York. Okay. I started three weeks before the quarantine hit. Uh, girl. So the quarantine hit at a very weird time in my life. Um, <laughs> but I'm so grateful to have a job and be working for such an incredible organization. They are a charter school that also has after school and summer programs and they work with kids in the East Harlem, the Bronx and Newark. Mm-hmm. And I'm their special events and communications coordinator. So literally doing exactly what I want to be doing, which oh, great. is so amazing as someone who's only 23 to say. Yeah, I was going to um, say. Yeah, and I have a ton of great role models. Like everyone who's in a leadership role in that organization just really knows how to lead, which is incredible. So, yeah, yeah. I've gotten super lucky. <laughs> no, yeah, that's incredible because, especially, I mean, this is like, is this your first full time job out of school? Yes. yes. So I always worked throughout school. I had right. like a gajillion jobs at UConn. <laughs> um, yeah. Oxford was the first time I didn't work during school mm-hmm. um and I had a short full-time job in London okay um after I was done with my dissertation I lived there with my sister oh wow story. but yeah I got super lucky and got to live there for about like four five months after my dissertation and right. I worked at a fitness studio just to like have fun and make money oh my gosh uh, that's so, so yeah cute. technically my second job out of college but <laughs> first U.S. based one yeah but even then it's just nice to because a lot of I know something that a lot of people struggle with when they get out of school and they get into the workforce you know right away is that you know it's they don't really have that support system right away um, and they're trying to kind of navigate it on their own um, and it's hard to ask for help sometimes or it's hard to feel comfortable and you know it's like an, it's it's kind of like when you're a freshman at a university and you're trying to like navigate that space and fit in and figure out yourself mm-hmm. and the fact that you already have that strong support system like the way you lit up I wish you guys could see her when, <laughs> when she was describing it I could tell from your heart that like you have that support system and that's really awesome that you have that right from the get-go yes and anyone who I know right now is such a weird time. And I literally, my heart goes out to every single person trying to find a job right now because mm-hmm. I cannot imagine the stress of that. But please don't get discouraged by the amount of people who never respond or who just say like no and give you no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, I applied to so many jobs before I got an interview anywhere and I'm still hearing back today (laughs) from companies who are like oh sorry we want a different person I'm like I've been working for this other company for three months (laughs) thank you for finally saying something it's so weird but don't get discouraged it is it's a cutthroat world trying to find a job but oh it's horrible it took me forever and to get one like what yeah yeah thank god I got something an interview (laughs) very stressful you said that you did your master's in the UK 
I'm wondering, how did you decide to do that? Did you just say, hey, I need to get out of here? Or was this kind of like, what was the thinking? So I, um, I've been dating a boy named Connor McAlpine for a little over three years now, and he's British. Um, we met working at a summer camp in Upstate New York. So if you ever want a fun summer job, go to the summer camp and maybe you'll find an international boyfriend. Um, yes, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but when I started thinking about doing my master's, um, it's something I never had considered until my senior year of college, mm-hmm. which was very unusual. I feel like a lot of people who do their master's know they want to do it way earlier than I did. Mm. Um, but I really started thinking first semester about how this is my last year of education ever and how I just didn't feel ready. Like there was still so much more I wanted to learn and explore. And I didn't feel like it was my time to go into the workforce. And I also knew if I wanted to get my master's after I started working, I would probably never go back because right. I think that's yeah. a really hard decision to make. Yep. Yeah. Um, so I was like, okay, well, U.S. masters are really expensive and they're two years. U.K. masters are less expensive and only a year. Oh. Um, and I had a bunch of friends who lived in London from camp, like not just my boyfriend, but a whole support system yeah. there. So I walk in, I email my academic advisor. Um, Ruth Bronstein is a superhero. <laughs> she honestly is part of the reason I am where I am today. She's my academic oh. advisor all four years of UConn. And I love her. Oh. I walk into her office and I'm like, so I've decided I want to go uh, pursue my master's and I want to go abroad and I want to apply to the hardest school to get into in the world. <laughs> and then I'm going to apply to some backups. And we only have like two months to do this. So can you please support me? And also, do you think I'm a crazy person? And she was like, <laughs> no, this is great. We can do this. We're going to have to mobilize like everyone we know who knows anything about applying to schools in the UK because it's so different than applying here. Oh. Um, so yeah, I decided pretty last minute, like in normal terms, um, decided I looked into a bunch of programs. I ended up applying to three schools, very different programs, but all sociology based. Mm-hmm. And then I very luckily got into all three of them so oh my god a queen a queen um <laughs> the hardest decision of my entire life i lost so much sleep over it Aww. but at the end of the day decided like when you get the opportunity to go to one of the best schools in the world being scared isn't a good reason to say no mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i said yes and yeah then oh I God. went to Oxford. Um, <laughs> spent a year at a very strange and very cool university. Oh my gosh. I think that's incredible. And I, I love how it was kind of last minute. I just love yeah. that. That seems so chaotic. <laughs> oh my God. So chaotic. Like my professors, every person who wrote me a letter of rec and like helped me literal saints I baked them all homemade treats when I got in because I was just so thankful and I literally didn't know what else to do so I baked them all things and wrote them handwritten cards and like professed my love for all of them um (laughs) yeah I could not have done it without the Yukon sociology department um oh my god but it was so weird because I I was like I got into the two other schools I applied to so Bristol and the London School of Economics yeah and then there was like a month gap between hearing from those two and hearing from Oxford. Oh. 
And I was for sure that I didn't get in. I just convinced myself, like, no. (laughs) I had committed to LSE and was like, they had different timelines and they had to put a deposit down. So I was going to LSE and then I was sitting in my sister's apartment one day, all alone, all my family's at work. And I think it was on spring break. I get the email from Oxford that I got in. And I've never had a moment like this in my entire life. I just started like crying because I don't think I ever thought that my life would take me to that point. Right. Yeah. And there it was. And then, yeah, the rest has unfolded. Oh my (laughs) God. Look at, I remember, I remember when you posted on Instagram. I think (laughs) I should have said that. I actually remember where I was when you posted on Instagram that you got into Oxford. I remember freaking the heck out. I was like, girl, I was like, you're kidding me. This is not real. Like right now. That's so funny. I remember I just, I was, you and um, Nikita, Nikita is also, she is, was an area ambassador and a friend of ours. And she won a Fulbright scholarship to Australia last year. And so I remember where I was when she got that too, when she posted Such a boss. It. And I was like, why are my friends so incredible? I love my friends. <laughs> <laughs> Your oh, energy I, attracts it. <laughs> I was just so happy for you. And I, you know, I was th- thinking, you know, coming up with the outline for the podcast today, I was thinking like, okay, so I'm wondering how that transition was initially like, because you were, you actually attended UConn as an out-of-state student, Yes. 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 I so, grew up yeah. in California. So, right. So at first I was like, oh, so she's, she might be used to already kind of going somewhere new and like starting, kind of starting over. And even though you, you say you had that support system this time um, for London, cause you had your boyfriend and your friends there. So I was like, hmm, I wonder like if it was an okay transition, even though I know there's like culture shock and things like that. So I'm just like wondering how that was for you. Yeah, it was tough. I mean, I think I have moved a lot throughout my life. So the moving part was less scary um, Mm -hmm. than the school part. Um, Like I just said, I never thought I would have even gotten in Mm -hmm. to Oxford. So knowing that I was moving my entire life for a year to a school that I was like, I might fail out of this program. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That was terrifying. And I also really was aware that I didn't want to go there and like not take full advantage of the Oxford life and like that whole experience by just falling back on all the people I knew in London. Like I didn't want to be in London every weekend. I really wanted to embrace Oxford and try to like kind of make it on my own first and then be like okay find the balance right um I don't know if that's the approach I would take (laughs) again but really because I think that first month of being in Oxford was so tough was so there's definitely a culture shock um I mean this university is the oldest university in the world and let me tell you so much has not changed I bet since day one like their traditions and their there's so many layers of that school that are so intimidating especially to someone who went to a school like UConn where you are supported and 
Um, I think they let you like explore so much of your interests and they let you deviate from what they expect the path to be. Like the world's your oyster at UConn. Mm -hmm. And I felt very trapped at Oxford to begin with of just like, I was in a program that was super quantitative. So normally sociology, there's qualitative and quantitative research. So like numbers based and also uh, interview based very dumbed down version of those two things but you know (laughs) usually there's both of those and this department was like so numbers based and stats and everyone I knew was doing these projects on things that were just (laughs) so out of the realm of my world like I was always super interested in things that affected the people in my life and affected society today Mm -hmm. um like I was never interested in going back and re-researching something from the past if that makes sense like yeah I know exactly what you mean yeah my research focuses were always like if you're going to do a bunch of research have it be something that a normal everyday person can see and read and digest Digest, and use in their life exactly I think that's part of the reason academia is so untouchable to so many people and just feels so detached is because so many people research things that like an everyday person today might not see a use for in their life if right. that makes sense not trying to show throw shade at the academic community, <laughs> right. I mean, or like it's it's hard to just hard to apply yeah hard, hard to apply it's even hard to just break through the language that's used in the research it's kind of like totally. you look at it and it's like oh all right this is not for me <laughs> yeah and I don't so perfect example of that is like and part of my transition was there's a very there's a lot of roots in latin in oxford um our entire graduation ceremony is in latin our first ceremony where you become an Oxford student is in Latin. Um, what? Multiple professors of mine would just randomly throw in Latin words while they were teaching. And I would look around like, am I the only one? Crazy? <laughs> like, I don't know what they're saying. Uh, oh my God, what? Yeah. So <laughs> that, there was a huge adjustment to say the least. How? Um, and I think... <laughs> I think I got really lucky. I went to a college, for people who don't know, Oxford is broken up into a a ton of different colleges and the college is like your social life and then your program is like your academic life. So those things are totally separate. Um, And I got, I chose and got accepted into a college that was very progressive and Mm. was so much more um, relatable and just like, accepting of Mm -hmm. everyone um lmh lady margaret hall if you ever want to do research it's where um malala goes or Mm. when she is graduating this year um it's a great place and i think i i think that college is why i made it through um because it wasn't you know the old like stiff oxford it was kind of represents like the new wave of things Mm. um but yeah it was really hard and i think I felt (laughs) like an imposter for a while. Like I, if you ask any of my friends that I made there, I would tell them like, this is, you know, this version of me that I don't think anyone else knows because I don't feel like myself. Like Mm. I felt 
super anxious and definitely at times depressed and just like I developed eczema from anxiety which I was told is a quote-unquote very normal response to Oxford academics which tells you something about how they think (laughs) um yeah eczema um I remember coming home for Christmas Mm -hmm. and the night before getting on the plane to go back, just like sobbing, being like, I'm so scared for what I'm going back to. My classes are going to be so hard. I can't do this, even though I had already made it through the first term. Like those thoughts of just not being good enough and not being accepted and being so different. And someone's going to find out like, I shouldn't be there. Like there's a huge rhetoric of oh, like they, they got the acceptance wrong. So many people I know felt that way at Oxford. Like definitely someone made a mistake on whether I should be here or not. Um, and I think that sticks with you. Like there, Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think after you go through an experience like that, where you felt that way for a whole year, Mm -hmm. you have to kind of mentally talk yourself out of that and surround yourself with people who kind of hype you up like yeah <laughs> you know like no, you it's true surround yourself with a with people who are like no you are good enough you do deserve what you have you are intelligent like it is so much about self-talk and mm-hmm. that's really hard to do when you feel super isolated and in a community that isn't super supportive mm-hmm. um, yeah and I I'm like listening and I relate so much <laughs> to what you're saying and it makes me wonder like did you also, when you were going through these things, um, did you like, did you recognize it as imposter syndrome? Like when you were going through these things or like, did you find it hard to like define or put into words what you were feeling? Yeah. So let me take a step back real quick on like imposter syndrome as mm-hmm. a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause I think it's a buzzword that a lot of people throw around now and it is definitely, there's like a pop culture version of this and there's like a psychological version of this that is mm-hmm. much deeper, you know. Um, I remember learning about imposter syndrome for the first time so vividly because I was sitting in my intro to sociology class at UConn and they bring up this concept and she's explaining things to me. I'm in like a 200 person lecture and I swear this woman is talking right at me. Like she's oh like, God. Meg O'Neill, this is you. <laughs> So I'm just sitting there being like, oh my gosh, everything you are saying is everything I felt and no one has ever told me that this is something other people feel. Right. Um, so the way I defined, and I did research on this, my whole thesis is on this, so the definition that I used um, is the internal experience of perceived intellectual phoniness. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically the idea that you've gotten somewhere and you're not good enough to be there Mm -hmm. and other people are going to find you out and other people are going to see that like, Oh, you're actually not that smart. I don't know what you're doing here. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think I experienced that quite a bit at UConn in different ways, but then I think it really hit me at Oxford. Okay. And when I, because I knew so much about it from my undergrad education, I like definitely did know when I was there, like I was actively trying to combat this, right? Like, no, you are here. There was no mistake. <laughs> like, yeah. You are doing okay. You're, you're going to make it through. But then there's 
it's like the angel and devil on your shoulder, right? Then there's the devil who's like, no, you're not. You could fail. There's always one or two people who fail out of these programs and you could be that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's like, you might be you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I think I knew at an intellectual level, I knew that it was the imposter syndrome and what so many people experience. But on a personal level, it just felt so overwhelming and like, this isn't me and like, this isn't my personality. I'm not competitive like this. I'm, oh. I'm not used to being like, you know, I, I'm not the person who's like, I have to be the best in this class. And so many people around me were like that. Like, I just felt so out of my element that I think there was definitely a lot of that playing into it and making me like more emotional. And mm. I think the imposter syndrome just made that worse. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. Like all those underlying feelings just made it, all of that worse. You just like brought them out basically, kind of enhanced them. Mm-hmm. Now, did you, so you felt this in an academic setting, but did you also feel this socially while you were there because it was so different in culture or was it pretty much, was it more of like just that you felt that I guess competitive that competitive nature those feelings more because of the academic setting if that makes sense yeah I think for me personally and like everyone experiences this so differently mm-hmm. um academia was always where I felt it most because okay. I have always gotten really good grades but in my mind it's like yeah but I've had to work so hard for them I'm not actually smart mm. um so I think because that has always been my most salient experience with the imposter syndrome that was just heightened so much when I did my master's yeah um I think the social aspect was much more just like the typical self-doubt when you're like in a new social situation like everyone or I think everyone maybe just most people (laughs) (laughs) have like a little bit of self-doubt of like oh this joke is gonna land flat or like (laughs) people are gonna think I'm crazy um like the minute I say I was in a sorority in America they're gonna have all these assumptions you know like yeah 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 yeah. (laughs) there's definitely some of that um but there were every person was in that situation so Mm -hmm. that was less scary to me because it's like socially we're all on the same playing field really like no one really knows a lot of people here we're all making friends we all have different things to bring to the table Mm -hmm. and I'm sure all of you who are going to be listening to this can tell that I can talk forever. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I love that. (laughs) So, like that part never scared me as much because it seemed more evenly like we were all on an even playing field. Mm -hmm. But the the academic part was like so daunting and was just like, okay, so all of you are so smart and are doing these crazy great things and have already accomplished so much. And like, here's this girl from Stores, Connecticut. Yeah. Come in here. <laughs> yeah, no, I completely understand. I asked the social question because I just, you're talking and I'm like, I hear, I see myself, like I know exactly what she's talking about. About how um, the way in which you reacted almost was like, you know, it came out in eczema, it came out in being, feeling competitive, all these different things. And I think of myself and how I react to these things, especially when I was student body president um, last year, I realized that the way I kind of, I guess, coped with imposter syndrome was like through the things I say. So it was interesting that you mentioned that, okay, like, yeah, you got to do a lot of self-talk, a lot of Mm -hmm. um, surrounding yourself with certain people, right? But 
in the way that I was handling it, I was kind of like using a lot of self-deprecating humor and like Mm -hmm. kind of changing it to make it like, uh, like it's a funny thing, but really it's not like, that's like genuinely how I feel. Um, and I thought like, that's like, it's fine. Like everyone feels that way. Everyone makes jokes about these things. So at the end of the day, when you're outside of that environment and it's just you and you think about these things, it's like, oh wow. Like I kind of did that to myself. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear you say like when I recount my experiences, like you see yourself in that too, because that is something I have gotten so much in the last year to six months. Like ever since I decided on writing my thesis on the imposter syndrome, Mm -hmm. every time I would tell someone, this is what I'm studying, you know, like even just in a casual conversation or people that I barely knew would ask and I would tell them, almost without a doubt, every single person would at some point either pull me aside or just like openly bring up that like they feel this way and that it's something Mm -hmm. they struggle with so much. And like hearing me talk about it is like bringing so much up for them or resonating with them. Mm -hmm. And this is not just like people our age or women our age. Mm -hmm. This is like grown men who are super high up in their companies who I'd say, yeah, I'm studying this. And they're like, oh my gosh, I feel this every day. And I've never told anyone this. Like people really just like lay it all out there because Mm -hmm. I think it's, we do talk about mental health so much more now, which is amazing. But this part of it is still so hushed. Mm -hmm. Like this part of like, I don't feel like I'm good enough to be where I am. And I think any day someone is going to realize you're going to ask me a question and I won't know the answer or like some, I'm going to slip and say like something that's wrong. And then all of a sudden everyone in the room is going to realize that I'm this imposter. Right. That feeling is not talked about at all nearly enough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like Mm-mm. every single woman that I interviewed for my thesis said that they had never talked about this with anyone, maybe sometimes their spouses and partners. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, I was hearing stories that these women had never told a soul. And this was from postdocs who were just starting off in their careers up to like heads of departments and VP, vice principals of colleges, like very well established. And they were like, I would never say this to anyone else because then they'll find out that I feel this way and then I'm ruined. No, like, exactly. There's such a fear around it, yeah. even though so many people, I mean, there's a statistic that says 70% of people feel this way. I think that number is low. I yeah. <laughs> just given the oh, fact yeah. that everyone says to me, oh my gosh, I feel this way. Mm-hmm. It just, it definitely needs to be talked about more because I think like speaking power to that w- helps so much in combating it. Mm-hmm. If that uh, makes- Yeah, no, it makes perfect sense. And I, I find it, I love that people are coming up to you and saying these things because I think that is the importance of your approach to research because you were saying earlier that academia right now, and I, I think the same exact thing because that is kind of why I battle going back, like getting <laughs> a yeah. master's and not because of that very part where it's like, how do you make it digestible for people and how do you make it resonate for people to actually apply to their lives so that it helps them to be the best version of themselves? Because at the end of the day, that's what we want to do for research, right? Where we always want to advance. You always want to progress. But the work that you are doing or that you did, it resonated with people. I find it also very interesting that you know men are also coming to you and saying this because I also feel like just in society in general, 
we don't like vulnerability. Like we don't, mm-hmm. especially mm-hmm. for men. It's not, it's just not characteristic. And the fact that your research like touched them to the point where they could come to you and say, hey, Meg, like this is also what I'm going through. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and I think it's just so interesting because most of the research done in this area, well, almost exclusively the research on this area is from psychology, mm-hmm. um, which is great. But I think like I have a background in sociology and the way I looked at this was, okay, well, what are the social aspects that right. are having people experience this at such a high rate? And mm-hmm. in particular, like what is different about the experiences of women and men to make them feel this differently? Mm-hmm. Um, because I believe that this is not a gendered phenomenon at all. I Mm -hmm. think men and women both feel this. Mm -hmm. Men, women, and everyone else um, feel this. Mm -hmm. And I think that from this perspective, it's that we just feel it differently and for different reasons and in different ways and in different situations. Yeah. Um, Because, you know, we're, we're brought up differently. So that makes sense. And I think men definitely do face that um, really difficult barrier of it's harder for them to talk about it in some Mm -hmm. aspects because of that vulnerability Mm -hmm. part um and because maybe people think what's your reason Mm -hmm. but that doesn't make it any less valid like exactly (laughs) that doesn't mean it's any less prevalent Mm -hmm. just because people aren't talking about it Mm -hmm. means nothing exactly Um, exactly yeah and I think It was very, very eye-opening to talk to all these women and have all of them kind of admit to it and just be like, yeah, this is something I've experienced my entire career. It either has gotten better or worse. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was also, I I could never, and to this day, like, I, I don't know where I land on this. Like, I don't know if that makes me feel better or so much worse because... Mm. it's nice to relate to people and be like oh I see myself in you but then also it's sad because in this particular issue like I don't want people to feel this way and the fact that everyone I talked to did it's like wow does that mean like I'm going to be battling this forever yeah yeah Yeah. but it it, I mean and that's it's a good question it's like I mean I when I was realizing that I was going through imposter syndrome this past year, I was also thinking about that social aspect. And I think, as you said, I don't think a lot of people think about those things. Everything is, when we think about these syndromes, phenomenons, like topics, whatever, it's always, at least, I mean, I was also trained in STEM, so maybe that's why (laughs) I've just had exposure from the STEM point of view, but um, it's just always been that way. But I think people fail to realize or they don't, I don't think people take the time again to really think about other people's experiences. Again, it's like that, that thinking that's very linear, Mm -hmm. but all of those things impact you. And when I graduated and I was like reflecting back on my college career, a lot of the things I was saying was like, again, oh, like me being president, like I didn't deserve all that. Like I didn't take any credit for anything that I did, even though there were mm-hmm. incredible things, but I went throughout the whole year, literally kind of almost blacking that fact out, like ignoring it, that I did those things and that it was all by luck. Like it wasn't me. It was just like, I happened to get there. Um, and 
when I realized I was like, wait, no, I did that. <laughs> like I should take credit <laughs> for those things. It wasn't, un- I couldn't realize that until I evaluated like why I was feeling that way. And a lot of it was due to like social things. Like I grew up with the, like people would tell me, they're like, you're not good at this. Like I'm a, like people would tell me like, you, this is who you are. And so I started to believe that because that's all I was hearing. And I was hearing that on like my personality level, but also just from the image of that I'm a black woman. So I'm not supposed to be doing these things. I'm not supposed to be good at this. I'm not supposed to be smart. Um, so having that image, in addition to people saying, oh, Amma, as a person, as a personality, you can't do these things. Like it has an effect on you over the years. And I didn't realize how much it did. Totally. Last year. Um, and then I was like, I re- then kind of pointing that out, I was like, oh, well, that m- makes sense as to why like I'm using all this like self-deprecating humor and like saying certain things because that's all I'm hearing. And then mm-hmm. I start to believe it. Exactly. That, that I like love how you put that. And I think that holds true for so many women. Mm -hmm. And before everyone's like, ah, but men have issues too. I get that. Mm -hmm. Totally, totally hear that. Totally see that. That's not what I know as a woman. That is not my experience, how they've experienced things. And that's not what my research is in. So I don't feel like I can speak to that. Mm -hmm. But like, just looking at women and women feeling this like it's crazy to me that we don't take the broader society that we grew up in into account more mm-hmm. often than right. we, like mm-hmm. the fact that I know some people say like oh like I don't like politics but right. the fact that there's never been a female president or vice president and the fact that there's 26% of the Senate is women and 23% of the House of Representatives is women right now in 2020 and it's the highest numbers like that means Crazy. something even yeah. like on a on a subconscious level that is in your head like we don't belong at the top mm-hmm. and like put politics aside 6.6% of fortune 500 companies are led by women CEOs and that is the highest number ever mm-hmm. like okay so you'll like politics aside if you care about business we're not representative there either mm-hmm. so like what makes you think you can be a CEO if you're a woman if there's only 6% yeah of right. women CEOs. No, exactly. Like, there are just so many statistics that are out there in the world. And it's something, it's different to see that on a piece of paper, hear that, like 6.6% of CEOs. Mm-hmm. But to see, like we see that every day. We see with our own eyes the lack of diversity in leadership mm-hmm. in this country and around the world. Mm-hmm. And that's what I think makes the impact on us and like how much we limit ourselves and mm-hmm. how like obviously, yeah, why would I think that it's my right to be <laughs> successful yeah. in academia when 27% of tenured professors are women in the right, US? Right, right. Like, no. <laughs> uh, clearly, I would have doubts about that and yeah. have doubts about like if I'm supposed to be there, if I can make it if it's just so we don't see it it hasn't been done no exactly so I think yeah it's really I think it's so important to take into consideration those social factors that influence how we see ourselves how we grow up the the path that we write for ourselves and the path that we take and that was something that was echoed so much in when I was talking to these women at Oxford of like 
well, when you look at my staff right now, there's one woman in a senior position, even though a third of women at the bottom are here. Like, clearly, there's some discrepancy between being starting out as a woman in this field and ending at the top in the women in this field. Mm -hmm. And it was, it's sad. Like, (laughs) there's no other way to put it. Think where it, where to me, like the hope lies is that we are speaking about this now and we are trying to make those changes. And so much of the change is going to come from those women at the top, helping the next generation of women Mm -hmm. get there. And so much, so many people I've talked to have this pay it forward mentality of like, well, I got here from the help of others. So like I'm going to help others in return. Mm -hmm. And I think that is so important. And just, yeah, like that, having that support system and lifting up others and like you were saying, you're surrounded by all these like incredible women. Like we all need to be doing that. We all need to be influences for each other to keep us on the path forward. Exactly. And that, I mean, and that's why for me, what I do, like even having this podcast, doing all these things that I did, I always, even in high school, my mentality was that I don't have this, like no one did it for me. No one is doing it for me. And I don't like how that feels. So I want to at least do it for someone else. And that's why even for me, when I was initially running for president at first, I was like, dang, and I don't know how people would react to having a black female president. I've never seen that happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, really, I didn't. And I was like, I don't really know if I want to be the first one and have to deal with all this stuff. Like, wouldn't it just be easier for once just for me to be like, quiet and just sit back like because I'm always I feel like I'm always the one that has to like start it or do something like Mm -hmm. for once can I just like sit back and that's the same way I felt about you know even joining a sorority for example I was like I could easily just rush for you know an African-American sorority and, and feel fit in and do that like why should I come and join you guys do you know what I'm saying and that was one of the questions I had asked and I said, like, why should I do that? Why can't I also sit back and just feel like I fit in and feel welcomed? Um, but I realized that if I continue with that mentality, there's no way the next generation of leaders can also grow up in this, this problem that we're having. Um, and that's why at the end of the day, I, I did the things that I did and I'm so proud of them. And it's crazy how even with those intentions, I still at the end of the day was feeling like I did not deserve any of that. I mm-hmm. could not take credit for any of that. I, I remember coming home, was it for, I think, I because I work in Boston. And so I came home um, to Connecticut to see my family. And, you know, I have my own apartment in Boston and everything. And it's been, it was, it's been months since I've been home home. And I saw my plaque for he said I'm a PS student body president and I was like I was like thrown off like I was I walked in the room <laughs> my room <laughs> I was like oh like, like I, oh yeah I did that I forgot about these things yeah and, and it has it has such an impact on you because it's like it it prevents you from going forward and there was a point where it's like you know the postgrad transitions a lot already and so that's why I applaud you for having like a transition but in a different country with different people with a different environment like that takes a lot because I know how hard it was for me (laughs) just being here but I it prevents you from going forward and I think it's hard 
to go through that. And then you also have like social media because it's like you naturally compare yourself. And I've always talked about this in my podcast, but that's mm-hmm. just something that I do where I always compare myself to others. And when I see that all these other people are achieving things and I'm not, it questions what I did in the past almost, if that makes sense. So I'm just like, oh, like I really just got lucky with that. That wasn't like me, you know? It's like yeah. very, it's very like complex, I feel like. <laughs> it's so complex. And I think this is one of the reasons people don't talk about it, right? Because it's mm-hmm. like you can't talk about this topic without talking about so many other topics that are really right. big and scary and complex to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think social media is like such a big one. Yeah. Um, you could probably have like 10 podcasts about <laughs> social media. Yeah. Um, I know that through every, all the conversations I've had so far about this kind of stuff, um, (laughs) I, I wish there was better advice that I've taken away from all of these, but honestly, the number one piece of advice is like, you just keep going. And that's exactly what you just said. Like, yes, it would be so easy to be like, okay, well, this sucks and I'm going to quit and I'm just going to ride along with everyone else and do like the bare minimum, right? Mm -hmm. And just like exist. Mm -hmm. But if you're not called to do that, if that's like not, if you have those big ideas and you you see a path forward, Mm -hmm. you got to keep going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, Because there are so many people who will sit and exist and that's fine. Like we need that too. Everyone plays a role. But if you are called to push that line forward, like you got to take it and you got to keep going. And literally every person I talked to was like, I don't think I've come up with any huge coping strategies except the fact that you just keep doing it. (laughs) You just don't (laughs) let it stop you. Like you just have to tell yourself like, no matter what I'm thinking, I'm going to keep going because Like, this is what I am being called to do. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important, Um, especially in the day and age of social media, of comparison, like constant comparison. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there are ways to make that easier on yourself. You know, like I, a really long time ago on social media, decided I I basically only use Facebook and Instagram as social media. Facebook for like family and friends who live far away and then Instagram like everyone else. Mm -hmm. But I decided that like this could go so badly and be so bad for my mental health that I have to make sure my social media is a positive influence and is working for me. Mm -hmm. This cannot be something that works against me because there are already a lot of things in the world that work against me. Mm -hmm. So like I cannot constantly be bombarded with diet culture and Instagram famous people who make a million dollars off of a post. Like, yeah, right. <laughs> I, yeah, or like, like toxic, True. toxic, like even, yeah. even toxic friends from your past, you know, like yeah. Yeah. making your, it, it comes back to what we see influencing who we are, right? Like right. making the things that you have control over positive. Mm-hmm changes so much exactly and just makes it easier to move forward because it's one less barrier in the way of being progressive you know exactly and I I'm hearing like hearing you say that it got me thinking about some other things so I know you said like you started to like have you decided to have more control over your social media and stuff like that when it made me think about your 
Instagram post. So Meg posted about her graduation um, from Oxford last October, was it, I think? And um, I remember reading it and she talked about the struggles that she had in that year. Um, And I was wondering like how it must have been, I guess, I don't want to say how hard was it for you to admit that? Because I guess that's such like a, I don't even know what kind of question that is, but like reading. No, it definitely is scary. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Because I feel like one of the things that I deal with is like, you know, everyone has that persona of you and we kind of create that persona because of social media and like all this other, like just from people interacting with us on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. So people have this idea of who they think we, like we are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we tend to use that to inform ourselves sometimes. But I know like for me, for example, like I look at you and I think of you as like, oh my God, like a goddess. Like, <laughs> but, you know what I'm saying? But like for you, like, you know, and I know, I I know people think of you as such an incredibly like intelligent, like thoughtful person. And so when you're going through this and like you make a post like that, it's kind of like you're, you're being vulnerable. And I'm just wondering like how that was for you, like kind of admitting, Hey, I'm not perfect, you know? Totally. Um, yeah. I mean, I think it's scary. Anytime you open yourself up to being in a vulnerable position, it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, Brene Brown talks about that all the time. <laughs> yeah. I, everyone is, everyone talks about her. I hear about her name so much recently. <laughs> my big Catherine got her, my, um, got her book for me for my birthday. And I have to read it. So honestly, it's that. great. I love and that. I love that she's, she's mainstream now. And I love that. Because she's <laughs> someone we learned about in school and like the oh. fact that everyone knows her name. I'm like, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think being vulnerable is super hard, but to me, like last year, there was always this tension. And I think there is this tension for a lot of people in so many different circumstances between like, I need to be really grateful for this opportunity, but at the same time, I'm really struggling with this opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really hard to speak power to because people will jump at you being like, how are you like not grateful that you go to Oxford? Like, how can you say that you're sad there? Like you haven't made, you're going to get a job right away. Like blah, 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 blah. These, anytime I would say anything about like me struggling, people would be like, okay, yeah, but you go to Oxford. So like, who cares? And you're like, okay, yeah. thanks for validating those feelings. <laughs> <You're> like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think like the tension the whole year was that, I am so grateful for this, but I'm also at the same time really struggling and that's okay. Like you can be grateful and sad and grateful and scared at the same time. Mm -hmm. Like, and I, I tried and I think at the end of the year, I just got to a point where like, I was like, it would be super dishonest of me to post this picture and just be like class of 2019. Like, thanks for a great year because Mm -hmm. like, what does that mean? Like, what does that do for anyone? Mm -hmm. Nothing. Nothing. Um, And I think if more people were honest about things like this on social media, like, it does help people. Like, I, a lot of people in my year posted similar things of like, yeah, this was great, but a lot of it also sucked and was really hard and that's okay. Like, I've, I've made it through this and I'm better for it. and yes, not for a second do I take this opportunity for granted, but that also d- 
does not mean that it was always easy. Right. Um, and I think people go through this in so many things, right? It's not just school. Like mm-hmm. you can be struggling with something and also another aspect of your life can be great at any given moment. Um, and mm-hmm. I think only highlighting those things that are great doesn't help. No, it doesn't. No. And it's, it is scary to say like, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling with this or this is something I struggled with, but I think it's important. And I think if more people did that, which to be honest, I do think more people are doing that on social media, mm-hmm. which I appreciate. Um, or at least I've seen it a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we can use all these tools like for good and right. to push, to push the line forward. Um, yeah. And I think it was just really important to me not to put some superficial <laughs> yeah. caption along with this like huge experience. Yeah. Um, Such a transformative experience, I feel like. Yeah. I think, yeah, I just think it, it comes down to like being honest with yourself and then being like having the ability and bravery and vulnerability to be honest with everyone else. Yeah. Which I'm not saying everyone needs to do that because I know it's really hard and scary. But oh, yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think when you can and you feel like okay, this is like the right thing to do. Like, I don't know. It's it's very freeing. Like, mm-hmm. not being perfect. No one is perfect all the time. Mm-hmm. And like trying to keep up that facade is exhausting. Yep. So, might as well just <laughs> just say be, be honest, be real. Yeah. And it resonates with people more at the end of the day. Like people look at you and it breaks breaks down that like weird, like, um, like barrier or even like platform that we pedestal that we put certain people on just like, just at least like taking the time, like once in a while, just to be like, Hey, like, this is something that I'm going through. And like, this is it. Like this, I have nothing else to say. (laughs) Yeah. It's really nice to see. So. Yeah, no, I'm glad. And I think, I think everyone honestly everyone has the power to do that like everyone has something they are struggling with no one is perfect no matter how much you have in your life that you should be and can be grateful for like everyone is fighting some sort of their own battle you know Mm -hmm. and I can guarantee you you're not the only person in the world who are feeling the feelings that are that you're having for sure and like having other people see that the the amount of people who every time I've opened myself up to be vulnerable and I've, you know, talked about anxiety or depression or things that I've struggled with in grad school or any body image, anything, Mm -hmm. the overwhelming response is people being like, oh my gosh, thank you for saying that because I felt that way too. And let's talk about it and let's support each other. And like, next time we feel this way, let's like be there for each other. Mm-hmm. That's a great response. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I I really encourage people to one, do more of that of putting themselves out there. But then two, when they see other people put themselves out there, be kind. And like if be you responsive to that. Yeah. If you have experienced that too, like reach out to them and be like, thank you for sharing this. Or this is really powerful to me. Like, let's talk about this some more. And if you haven't experienced that, that is totally okay. But like acknowledge that someone's being vulnerable and how hard and how great that is. Mm -hmm. Even if you have no idea what they're talking about or what they're going through, you don't have to be mean about it. No, exactly. Exactly. I feel like that happens so much so often. 
what well, I'm it's just you. shutting you down right. like right away right like where do you go from that mm-hmm. like when someone says like okay well you're fine okay well right. I don't feel fine so thanks for having this conversation <laughs> like like you there's yeah. nowhere to go mm-hmm. um yeah Yeah. And I think, I think we have a unique opportunity. We have so many tools like access to internet is very high in this country. Social media, a lot of people are on it, especially people our age. Like we have all these tools that we can make work for us. Mm -hmm. And if more people realize that and like put the effort in to make it work for them, Mm -hmm. we would change so much of how we view ourselves, how we view others. Like you would just be, we would be amazed at how similar and how connected we all are. And I think people really forget that a lot. And I think we're getting better at making these tools work for us, but I think we still have ways to go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and just to kind of I, like, this is such like a good wrap up almost because I feel like you just gave so much good advice. Um, so just like number one, for example, um, you know, improving your self-talk and just surrounding yourself with good people and just making sure that um, like you are using like these tools to really enhance your personal experience. Is there anything else that you think would be good for people to know just based on your research? I know you mentioned um, just kind of keep pressing forward. That kind of seemed like the <laughs> overall like theme that you've heard from people you talk to, but is there anything else that you think um, people could take away to apply to their own lives? Yeah. So I do really want to emphasize the self-talk aspect, especially because I just believe like so much of how you perceive obstacles in your life, how you perceive yourself, how you perceive others. So much of that happens in your own head. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. like, I, I just cannot stress enough. The things you say to yourself have such an impact on the outcome of where you go and where you'll end up. And I used to say that I've said this for so long, like, especially in school, like you think to yourself, okay, I'm going to aim for a passing grade. I'm going to aim for a C on this test, or I'm going to aim for a B. Why not aim for an A? Yeah. Like what's, what's the harm in that? Go into that test being like, I've studied, I'm ready. I'm going to do well. Even if you don't like 100% believe that, if you say over and over again, like, I'm going to do well, I'm determined to do well, you're going to do better than if you go in there being like, yeah, I might do a mediocre job. Like, true. That's very, I just, I think that's applicable in so many things. Like, you look in the mirror every day, you see yourself every day. You, what you say to yourself about that image just can change so much in your world. And you have the power to do that. Like, I like solutions where, you're in control mm-hmm. and you don't have to rely on other things, right? Because you, you're never, you don't know what other things you'll have, what other tools you'll have. But if you can change the direction of your life, just you yourself by how you speak and think about yourself and others and the world around you, that is so powerful because you don't need anyone else to do that. Mm-hmm. No, like you, exactly. you tell yourself you're going to succeed in what you do. You're half of the battle is has been fought that is half the way there just the world would be such a better place i think if everyone looked at themselves kindly every day instead no, of i know with I know. so much judgment i know and it's easier said than done you know it is it is <laughs> it is no easy task i i don't want to make it sound easy it takes a lot of hard work and a lot of practice and you will fail 
and you'll just have to keep trying. Um, big believer in persistence yeah, <laughs> and no. perseverance. Yeah. And especially right now, like we're in one of the weirdest times ever and it's so easy to go down to that negative rabbit hole. But remembering that you can be struggling and you can be grateful at the same exact time mm-hmm. will help you so much, especially in times like right now. Like you can be grateful for such a small thing. I post my Instagram every single Monday, all these tiny little things that I'm grateful for, like oversized sweatshirts and <laughs> the sun shining. Like yeah. I can be grateful for that and then also be struggling and sad because the world is going through a pandemic. Like yeah. those tensions can be simultaneous and that is okay. Wow. I'm like inspired now. <laughs> my, my Sunday is like, Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love this. <laughs> oh, thank you so, so much, Meg, for coming on to chat with me about this. I really appreciate it. And I hope you had fun. I know that this, I think people are going to listen to this and like really enjoy um, your story and like hearing the ways in which you, like, you dealt with it and the stories of other people as well. And like, I don't know, I just, it meant a lot to me. I keep saying this, like the whole, this whole episode, I'm just sitting here praising Meg, but it means so much to me because I, I relate and it's, it helps me. So yeah. No, it means so much to me too. And like the fact that you are chasing this dream and making this platform is just such a testament to the woman you are and like the powerhouse and force to be reckoned with that you are. (laughs) And like, I'm just so proud of you. And hopefully, yeah, hopefully someone else listening to this will feel good after it too. Bye Meg. Bye.